I'm Nick Harcourt and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers, and just plain cool people about music. Joining us today on The Sound of Success is Julieta Venegas, an American-born Mexican singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer who writes and sings in Spanish from her debut album, Aki, in 1997, and her second album, Buen Invento, in 2000, an album that was praised by critics around the world and is one of my favorite albums in the format, and onto her most successful album, Limoni Sol, which went platinum in several countries and had the worldwide hit Mevoy in it. Julieta has in the last 20 years established herself as one of the most important and leading songwriters and performers in Latin America and Spain, earning a couple of Grammys and six Latin Grammy Awards along the way and selling over 30 million records worldwide. Since 2017, Julieta has lived in Buenos Aires in Argentina, where she made her debut as a theater actress in the play La Enamorada by the Argentinian writer Santiago Losa, and released an album of the same name, which has themes based on the play. Welcome, Julieta. It's been a few years since we connected. I'm so grateful to you for doing the podcast. Hi, Nick. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's an Thank honor. you. It's great to see you again. It's great to see you. You lived in Mexico City most of your adult life. Until five years ago, when you moved to Buenos Aires, I think it was your personal life that took you there initially. Can you tell us about that time and the experience of leaving the crazy, sprawling Mexico City to another crazy city, Buenos Aires? Yeah, I'm definitely a city person. And uh, yes, I lived most of my adult life in Mexico City. Um, it, it's basically because my my partner is from Buenos Aires and also my my daughter's dad is from Buenos Aires. So... Eventually, my daughter's dad moved back to to Buenos Aires, and and we basically just all decided to come over and live over here. And actually, I think also because Mexico City was becoming too much for me as a place to live and and to, you know, to to have my daughter grow up in and stuff. I just really felt like Buenos Aires is a nice city for it's a. I mean, it's still a very stimulating and big city, but at the same time, it has like a certain it's a little bit smaller and it, it I, in fact I do feel that it's a little bit more easy to manage and and people here are always laughing at me and saying that I'm crazy because you know I moved to such a big city and I'm like well you know with comparing it with Mexico City I feel like I came to a really mellow place you know but it's still very very much a big city and I really enjoy that I, I think I'm just a city person you know I mean I, I grew up in Tijuana and I grew up in in San Diego and California. And I always felt like cities are my, it's my thing. You know, I like cities. If you take me to the country, I'm always thinking like, oh, this looks like a movie. This is like a movie. This is like being in a film. You know, I always feel like it's not real. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm some sort of fiction or something. <laughs> well, talking about movies, I know you've done a little acting, but when you moved to uh, Buenos Aires, you made your theatrical debut uh, with the work of Santiago Losa, who we mentioned, uh, and uh, the play La Enamorada. And I believe you had earlier written to him about his book, Obra Dispersa. Can you tell us how you met him and how you began working with him and collaborating? Yes. Um, yes. Basically, his, he does a lot of monologues here in Buenos Aires. And he, he, he actually, very, he's very prolific. He's written a few novels. He's actually done films and directed them. And he's very, like, he works a lot here. Um, and I, and they have put, how do you call it, a publisher here in Buenos Aires called Entropia put together some of his monologues and it called, and they called it Obra Dispersa, like dispersed, I don't know, like his, you know, different texts that were lying Collection, around, yeah. they put them into a book. 
And so I, I read that book and I, and I really liked that monologue in particular, La Enamorada, because I, it was kind of certain themes that it touched. I just felt like, uh, for some reason I felt identified with them. I mean, I actually went to a Catholic school when I was a kid and there's something about growing up in a Catholic home, which is not Catholic anymore, which is kind of, you know, something I could identify with. And she has, her character has some of those things flying around and she, she talks a lot about, um, I mean, there's just certain things in the text that I really liked, but my intention was not at all to act it because I'd never done acting before. I mean, I had done uh, music for plays and I just felt like something that maybe I wanted to explore because I, I didn't feel like going out on tour and doing another record. I just felt like trying something different and mm. maybe being creative, but staying in the same city. When I wrote to him, my intention was to, you know, maybe work on something together as a musical or something like that, to write musical for someone else to act in and he was really funny because he kind of pushed me a little bit he's like well you know there's a producer who's actually looking for somebody to act that monologue and I'm like yeah but I'm not an actress I mean I'm actually writing to you for you know just because I like that text but I mm -hmm. he's like well why don't you why don't you get together with her and see what happens and I'm like well I mean if I get together with her it'd be like to offer her to maybe do some music for a play because that's something I have done before so we had this conversation and then I wrote to Romina, the producer, and, and he, when he spoke to Romina, he was like, Julieta really wants to do this text, so you should probably like try her out. So it was really funny because we both came to the meeting like thinking the other one was thinking something different. Like she thought I wanted to act in it and I thought I wanted to do music. You know, it was all right. kind of a, uh, but it worked, you know, because when, when I spoke to her, she was already like, you know what, I've been thinking about it and I think you could actually be great for it. And I'm like, but that's nuts. I mean, I've never done it before. It's like, well, we could try it out as a, a she's like the way that we work, uh, because they have like a, they call it like operativa, you know, like they, it's, it's not like a producer play, but it's more like the whole group is the produce, you know, like the, I don't, I don't know how you call it in English, but it's like a, a cooperativa. And there was something about that way working that I found kind of really, I don't know, enlightening and interesting. And I was like, well, I'm kind of curious. And she's like, we could start rehearsing. And if you don't feel like if we see that it doesn't work, we can just quit because there's no, you know, there's no, nobody's in a hurry and, sure. and we can just see what happens. Try and yeah. And that's what, that's how eventually, you know, a year later, because we, we did that for a year. We got together once a week with, Guillegacache, the director, and it was really actually really a great experience. I think it taught me a lot about being on stage. And I think I, after that experience, I feel even with all the years that I've been playing music on stage, there's something about being there without music that kind of taught me a lot about how to be with people, how to communicate with people, even though I was actually acting a text, it was, it was really a great experience. It was also a, a solo experience, right? You're the only person on stage. Yeah, it was nuts. I mean, and then it actually, it strangely got me back into music because I was like really doubtful about which way to, you know, which way to go because I had done the last album. The last album I actually recorded was in 2015 and we did a really long tour for that record. It was like three years that we were touring and, and, and I think I was really exhausted when we finished that and I just needed to stop and pause a little bit and think about things, see if I see which way I wanted to go. And when I did the the, the music for La Enamorada, um, I went back into the studio, but it was for a different reason. And that kind of, you know, sort of like a cable connected or something inside my head. And I was like, wow, this is 
wow, this is great. I mean, this is actually something I've forgotten how much I enjoy, you know, just being there without it being about something. But, you know, the objective was this play and it was something much smaller, you know, a much smaller project. And something about that just gave me back something about enjoying it without thinking too much about it. Then the pandemic came and I started writing songs uh, regularly. I needed at least mm. uh, three hours each day to sit down on the piano and just write because I kind of needed it. And that eventually started becoming uh, an album. But I, I didn't realize it at the moment, but then now that I have the album ready, it's, you know, that was the beginning of it. I want to come back and talk about the new music, but let's just go back a, a bit, uh, spin it back to finishing the play, which I think was uh, in 2019 and the album, the, the music for it. And then the pandemic and like the rest of the world, you had to adapt. And I, I'm wondering how that was for you. I read an interview with you from about six months into the pandemic uh, and you were talking about how you were reconnecting with friends you hadn't seen for some time. Uh, and family members, you know, we all had to, you know, pivot, I guess, under lockdown. What was what was your experience being so far away from family and friends? I mean, clearly you've got family and friends in BA as well, but, you know, your extended family and friends back in Mexico. No, it was tough, actually. That, that's when I realized how far I felt. Um, when everything's okay, you don't really think about it too much. You know, when I when I moved down here, it was a little bit like, I felt like it was a good place for my daughter to grow up in, but I didn't really think about the other part that I was leaving my family and friends behind. I just thought like, well, you know, it's fine. Well, I'll just come visit, you know. But then when, when the pandemic came and I was really scared about my parents and my family and everybody, I, I realized just how far I'd come. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this. I don't know. I mean, it's just good. I mean, I'm just so far away and... and I really miss my family and, and I started, I, I did actually connect with Mexico a lot, but not with Mexico city as much as with Tijuana where my family is at mm -hmm. and some friends from Tijuana and I started and some friends in Mexico city also, but in the beginning, I think we did a lot of zooms and a lot of, there was a lot of drinks involved and everybody <laughs> was like, you know, just trying to, you know, trying to reconnect and, and to, to kind of go through the whole experience and kind of feel you know, accompanied with friends. And, and that was really important for me and also with my family. And then my parents both got sick. And that was like a kind of a, that, that in, in, in a strange way, first, of course, I was super scared. And I, and I actually just decided like from one hour to the next to catch a plane and go take care of them because they were both sick. And it was kind of, it was hard for them to make decisions. And so uh, a sister of mine who lives in San Francisco and me, we just decided like, you know what, let's just go there and get in there and figure out what to do. I think that kind of uh, shook off like all the fear of seeing my parents, you know, I just, that was like the worst fear, which came true. So, and my father, we had to put him in the hospital for a few days and stuff. And after that, I was like, the important thing is to see each other and if I'm going to live that far away, it's going to have to be with more visits, you know, and that's the only thing I have to Understood. figure out how to do. And that's what I started. I just kind of lost, you know, lost all fears. And it was like with my daughter, I had to work with it because she's, you know, she's 11 now, but she was 10 at, at one point and she was going like, no, we can't go anywhere because, you know, she was pandemic. Worried, yeah. and I'm like, you know what, you have to, you have to actually travel to see that it's not as bad as you think. I mean, obviously there's a lot of precautions that we have to make and all that, but it's fine. You know, you're going to have to, 
you have a family that lives over there too, and you're going to have to like, just relax about it. And, and the first time that we traveled, she was really super panicked and she was really nervous. And so it was sort of something, it, it was an experience, you know, but I, I just felt like we had to fight against that fear and just kind of like, you know, realize that we, we're from both countries and we have to be a little bit in both countries. You know, we've all had way too much time in our head, I think, for these uh, these last few years, uh, especially the first year in, in the pandemic. Did you discover anything new about yourself that has perhaps changed the way you see yourself or your career or what's important? Well, yes, because, but for me, it was like, sort of like the opposite than other people, I guess, because when the pandemic came, I had actually stopped everything. I mean, I was starting to do something with the play, but it was a lot smaller. I was thinking much smaller things, you know, I wasn't thinking about doing an album. And uh, this time kind of made me realize that I, I can stop making music, I suppose, but there's something about me, about my person, which is not going to be expressed. And so that's why it's necessary for me. It's not only because I enjoy it. It's not only because it's my career, but it's also because I kind of need it. And I guess I realized that at, at one point, like going, yeah, I guess you can quit. But if you quit, it's like you're silencing a whole part of you, you know, and that's how I felt for a while. And so I, I feel like that for me, it was just like, it's just to find a way of doing things that I can feel like. It makes sense for me, uh, you know, like artistically, but also that it makes sense for me personally with my life, with my, when, you know, with all my, with the different uh, things about my life that need to work together to make that, you know, happen. But I do, I did realize that I do need music, you know, <laughs> I mean, not that I hadn't realized it before, but at one point when I had this crisis, when I finished my last tour, I was uh, like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know. I, maybe I just want to try, you know, putting up a bookstore and just kind of like sitting around and doing something else. Sure. And then I realized that no, I did need, I do need music. You know, I do kind of, I, it just had to go through all that and realize no, actually, you know what? I, I do kind of like doing this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, it's interesting, obviously, because as you said, you sort of stepped away for a minute and uh, obviously you did, you did the play and challenged yourself in very different ways. I'm wondering, did you have stuff lined up for 2020 or 21? Did you have tours or any live stuff lined up? Because clearly nobody was able to work live for, for a while. It's starting to change now. And I know that you've started playing out live again. But did you have stuff that you, you had to cancel? How did you adapt to not being able to tour? And maybe you could tell us a little bit about the live shows you were able to put together for streaming and what that was like performing uh, in an empty space. Yeah, I had actually been doing a show by myself playing various instruments. I think it was part of the whole, like the whole, the whole thing that I had to do to go back into music. Part of that process was to start playing by myself and to just carry my instruments and just go to a bar and play. You know, I kind of needed that without the whole structure of people, without 20 people behind me, without the whole stage and all the musicians. Mm. I just kind of had to do it by myself. I needed that. And in 2020, I had actually just finished in March. I had just finished a tour that I did in Mexico with that show. I hadn't been in Mexico for a while. And this was the first time that I actually did like a theater tour that was like 10 cities just by myself. And I don't know, there was something about that that I really enjoyed. You know, I knew that it was a risky show because it wasn't like, you know, the band. It's always easier to go with a band and with the stage designer and with everything. But I just kind of wanted to do it like that. I, I felt like, I had to do it that way. And I'm like, maybe 
it's kind of risky and maybe some people are not going to really get it. But at the same time, people really appreciated that. And I was about, I was actually putting together a couple of tours with that show. I, I was going to go play in Chile. I was going to go. And with the play, we we're going to go to Peru, to Mexico. Mm. Uh, and I was going to do some shows with the Solar Stereo tour that they did, that they're actually still doing right now. And it's really funny because at one point I felt like maybe I just overdid it. I think there's so much things going on in 2020. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit stressed. And mm. then the pandemic came and everything got canceled. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I better not think, I better not think anything, but you know. Just recently, you released some new music and you announced that you're working on a, a new album with uh, Alex An Anwanta. Is that how you pronounce, pronounce the name? Yeah. And, yeah, Alex Yeah, and, and the single, uh, Miss Moa Moa, which will be the title cut of, of the new album, the single is just a beautiful slice of disco pop and funky beats. I read in an interview you gave to Latina about the new album and you were talking about finding the right partner and friends and co-workers in your life as being the key to making beautiful things. Can you tell us what to expect from the new album? Yeah, it's definitely like, uh, I, I definitely felt like it was a, a beautiful experience because I'd never worked with Alex before. And he's a friend of mine. We've been friends for a really long time and I've always admired his music. He's just a great artist. We've, we have collaborated with his music before and he has a different sensibility than all the people that I've worked with before. And he's also a perfectionist. So. I think that at first, the only, the only thing that we spoke about was maybe, uh, I just wanted his opinion because I've been writing so much during the pandemic and I felt like, I just want to know if I have an album or not, you know, if these songs can actually come together and, and be something else or if they're just, you know, songs that I'm writing and I just needed an objective opinion. And from day one, he was, well, you know, I actually really would like to work with you. And if you're interested, I think we should try. And I'm like, that's wonderful. And mm. he basically like sent me this list that was like 50 points for each song. It was like super detailed about each song, what he would, what he thought about. It, I mean, from verses to choruses to like, this maybe needs a bridge to this maybe. And it was wonderful. I just felt like like he's very much like a teacher type uh so you know he's just wonderful in that sense and and from day one i just felt like i had to work a lot to make it you know like th there wasn't like any oh yes because you're you know it's their songs are perfect you're done no it was it was not even like halfway done when when we i had 25 songs and we ended up with 10 songs and from that i had to work a lot on them <laughs> so it was actually really a nice i really i actually love that you know that that's something that I think is always necessary to really um, choose the songs well and work them until they're super tight, right? And also, and Mismo Amor, I think is a, is a great way to, to begin showing it because we basically, um, that was the last song that I wrote for the album because we had already done the pre-production for all the songs and we had 10 songs. And Alex kept on saying, I feel like there's something missing, uh, you know, all the time. And he basically gave me three beats and he's like, take them home and work with them, see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I came back with Mismo Mord. I, I, I took them for a weekend and then I came back with Mismo Mord because I just really enjoyed that beat. And I love working with beats. And I mean, I think most of this album, I wrote it with the metronome, <laughs> no beats, but uh, because I didn't have any equipment when I, when the pandemic came, but mm, but this one was, I don't know, I just felt like it was very, I love beginning to show this album with this song. How are you feeling about beginning the, uh, the process again, uh, the cycle, I guess, of making an album, putting it out and then going touring behind it? 
Well, I think it's different um, because this time around, I think I, I, I'm really happy about the, like the whole team that, that, that we put together. I mean, I had, I, I actually stopped working with a manager for a few years and now I have a manager and now I, I feel like I'm being my own, my own um, record label because I'm the one who's deciding all these artistic parts and all these things. And I'm the one who's betting on it. And so it's very different, you know, it's like, it's just a different way of working. And, and I, I feel like I'm, this is the kind of work that I need to do. I need to be part of this process, you know, and, and during the album, it's like the first time ever that I was also doing like a sort of, um, executive production, you know, not only, not only because I decide like, but I'm, you know, like talking to the catering lady and then talking to the drummer and how much are you going to charge me and all this. And this taking is care of business. Exactly. And that's something that for me, it was like a totally different way of working. And I just felt that that's what I needed. You know, I needed to be the one, you know, if you, who am, who am I supposed to talk to about the pictures? Me, who are you going to have to, you know, this <laughs> me. Yeah. So my manager's actually freaking out. He's like, you, you're doing too much. I need to like, I'm doing like my okay, job. I'll, you know, yeah. I'll delegate, but you know, I need to be in this. This is like what I need to do right now or the way it's longer. The process is much slower, but I need to be a part of it and actually really enjoying it and learning a lot, you know. I know that you're going to be doing some live shows uh, later this year as well. And I, I, I know that um, we're, we're recording this in April of um, 2022, obviously. Uh, you're going to be in Los Angeles at the end of the year for a big festival at Dodger Stadium, I think, in, in December. So I'm going to make sure I, I find you at, at that festival because I'm dying to see you live again. Wonderful. No, well, thank you. Yes, that, that's going to be a fun. And I love the the festival. It's going to be great. I mean, there's Bronco, there's Catacuba, there's like yep. such a combination of artists. It's going to be great. Looking forward to the new album as well. Okay, so let's get into uh, your background and your, your history with music. What is your first musical memory? Well, the, the first musical memories are with my parents and my family, like the road trips that we used to do to the beach, to San Felipe, Baja California. Um, which were always filled with music. And it was always like, my mom has always been, you know, she's always singing. And and it's just like my mom improvising songs or singing songs that she likes or whatever. And I think uh, if I'm going to think about my first musical memory, they have to do with my mom's voice and her relationship to music and how she kind of got, it made me have that experience also in you mentioned you grew up in Tijuana, which of course is a border town, and there's great radio on the on the border. Radio uh, from Mexico, radio from San Diego. Uh, did you guys listen to the radio when you were taking those car trips? Yeah, well, no. It, 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 especially the road trips, I think that there wasn't much radio there. There was more like music, the records that my dad, my parents had. That mm. or they were cassettes at that point, but they're they're cassettes, and they. It was a lot of Juan Gabriel, a lot of um, Jose Jose. I remember Emmanuel, um, because in, at, at home we had a uh, we always had vinyls, but when we traveled by car we had cassettes, um, says, yeah. and then eventually you know in the nineties CDs or whatever. But there, I, I don't remember there being much radio because I, I think there wasn't like much connection. But it, it's really funny because I. Uh, I think the radio that I listened to when I was a kid was actually in English. It wasn't Mexican. It just like TV. I didn't watch Mexican TV. We all watched American TV. So that's actually how we learned English. We didn't actually study English. We just kind of 
you know, we grew up speaking it and, and just being, you know, it was all around us. And so musically, it was a lot of, it was like my parents' popular Mexican music. And then it was, my brother was like, his dream was to be a DJ. And he had like, he was always like, up, he's still always up to date with music and what's going on. And so it was kind of a mix of those two influences. What was the first music you bought with your own money? I think it was a, I think it was a vinyl. Uh, it must've been either Cat Stevens or U2. <laughs> I always had this strange mix of, of artists, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Cat Stevens it was a, we, because I have a few Cat Stevens finals, which I still have with me. <laughs> what was the first concert you went to without adult supervision? That must've been one that I played in. I don't think I, I don't think my parents, I mean, my parents were very strict kid and they would not let us like out of their sight very much. And there would, there had to be like this whole negotiation in the middle of the first time they actually let me go play a show because I was actually more like a, a classical pianist. And then when, when I started playing in the first band that I played in, my parents were freaking out because they were like, probably like the worst nightmares kind of came true. And you're like, oh my gosh, she's playing with this ska band. It's like, oh my God. And I think that the first show that I actually went to were the ones that I started playing in. What do you listen to when you want to dance? Well, I do have a playlist that I've been putting together for a long time. And it definitely, it, it starts with LCD sound system. I mean, it, I think there's something about that sound. Um, and also there's, there's this cover that the slits do, the, um, the, the Marvin Gaye song. I heard it through the grapevine. The slits have this, this oh, cover. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard through, which just kind of drives me nuts. That sound, which is also, I feel very much like uh, LCD sound system. They have like the drums and the bass, like super punky, but at the same time, it's super like disco. And that is like, that would be like the the, the, the one that gets me, get me started, you know? <laughs> That's a great version of that song. And obviously, I know you sort of started off in that, in that punky world as well. So I can see why you'd be... <laughs> be drawn to that. Uh, what about if you're sad? What, what do you listen to when you're feeling not great, feeling a little sad? Well, it depends on, on why I'm sad. If I'm missing, if I'm missing Mexico, which does happen to me a lot, I mm. listen to Jose Prohibitz, which is one of my favorite composers ever. Or I listen to ranchera music, like, this is me, you know, this is my identity and this is who I am and I'm just so far. And so I listen to ranchera music and just kind of like feel like at home. But then if I'm just sad because, I don't know, because I broke up with somebody or whatever, I need something like Caetano Veloso or, you know, something mm. more mellow and someone who's, you know, being super soft about the way he sings and all that. And kind of, because, you know, I mean, I think there's different kinds of sadness. So there's different kind of, you know, music for that. Do you, do you feel foreign in, in Buenos Aires? Do you feel like you're from somewhere else. I mean, obviously you speak the same language. It's not like going to a country where people speak differently and you have to figure out how to be, you know, communicate or whatever. But do you feel like you're from, from outside? Yeah, actually I do. Especially because my family's far away. And, mm. and also, you know, what really makes the difference? I think the food is very much something that marks the difference a lot because uh, here in Argentina, food is a lot more Italian oriented. Sure. You know, it's more like, you know, there's a lot of meat and there's a, a lot, lot of, meat. of pasta yeah. and, hot and pasta and pizza and all that. And stuff that I, that I, I really don't usually eat. You know, I do miss like when I go to Mexico, I realize like this is, you know, this is me, you know, this is my food. <laughs> so I have my chilaquiles and I have and that 
I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think I used to eat that when I was in Mexico. I didn't eat that every day. But now when I'm in Mexico, I do eat it every day. Yeah. <laughs> like I need my tilaquiles, you know, I know I'm not going to be able to eat them for a while. <laughs> You've, you've made some great music videos through the years. And in fact, uh, the, the new one is just stunning. And, and I love all, all the work you do with, with your videos. Do you have a, a favorite music video of somebody else's and why? Yeah, right now, the one that I've been watching obsessively is uh, there's one by Mitski. She has mm. this one called The Only Heartbreaker. I think that's the latest one that I've been kind of obsessed with because of, of this whole thing with with nature and touch she has a shoot it's more like animation and she's in the middle of it but i really love the way what 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 she's saying you know like you touch it and everything burns and so that's sort of like the way she they 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 did this metaphor for the song i just just thought was like magic you know i really enjoy that video and i really like the way she she expresses everything with her body and her movements and stuff so i think that that one is one that i'm kind of obsessed with I was reading that uh, one of the things you were doing during the pandemic was uh, reconnecting with yoga. Yeah. Yeah, I actually did a lot of, and now I'm not doing it anymore. See? (laughs) (laughs) Because as soon as everything started up again, I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to try, you know, know, because I did it virtually. I was doing it virtually with a a group from Mexico with my sister. And then I just kind of said, no, I'm going to try, you know, doing it over here. And I'm going to look for a teacher here in Buenos Aires. And I never did. So, you know. So there was something about the, you know, being in quarantine that kind of made you do things that, you know, when it came to practice, I, I didn't actually do it anymore. You know, this is a question that I don't normally ask as a part of this, because it's not music related, but I'm just thinking about it now. What's the weirdest thing that you had delivered to your house during the pandemic? You know, because we all were sort of locked in and, you know, getting stuff delivered. And I don't know about you, but we were all disinfecting it the first couple of months or whatever. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, yes. (laughs) What's the weirdest thing that you bought in the middle of the the pandemic? When when it was my birthday, I realized that I hadn't actually bought any mezcal, which is actually the drink that I choose to to have. Mm -hmm. And we had a whole, like, you know, a bunch of friends of mine, we were all trying to find some mezcal, you know, let's, you know, how are we going to have this birthday? We don't have any mezcal. This is ridiculous. And it was like, we're all trying to find one looking through calling, you know, because I have a friend of mine who has a restaurant over here and she was calling all her friends, like all her Mexican friends, like, where can I find some mezcal? You know, we need some mezcal. It's urgent. You know, and we, ne- we never got it. We never got it. It was impossible. It was hard. I mean, I had to, I, I should have planned it. I needed, you know, I needed to have planned at least for a week before and I didn't. And, and it was like, now, every time I go to Mexico, I bring a bottle of Miscan because I'm like, this is not going to happen again. I mean, I'm just going to have more than I need, but I'd rather have more than I need for an emergency than not yeah. have any, you know? Next time I'm locked in, I've got a couple of bottles of Mezcal. Let's get back to the exactly. music questions. Do you have a recent <laughs> musical discovery uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners? It doesn't have to be necessarily a new act. It could be just somebody that you've just discovered for the first time from, you know, whenever they were making music. Yes, I mean, I definitely, I just keep discovering new music here in Buenos Aires. There's like a really big movement of young artists. There's there's an artist called Catrielli who's super talented. I think he's he's like one of the most interesting artists that I've seen lately because he does a combination of, I guess you could call it, I mean, it's not trap exactly because he's 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 like a multi-instrumentalist and he, mm. he's a, he has a great voice. I've seen him singing like boleros and also doing like hip hop. So he's like, 
super diverse and I just find him like a really interesting and super charismatic. He's just like super interesting. And there's another one. I, I just really like people who defy labels, you know, who just don't fall into any category. And mm-hmm. I think he's like that, you know, he's just like that kind of artist. And there's also another, another girl who's called Lara 91K, Lara 91K. And she uses elements from trap music and she uses auto-tune and she does like beats, but at the same time, she's not at all someone who you'd consider like a trap artist. So it's kind of, you know, she, she's a songwriter, but she uses those elements in her music, like as a part of her sound. And I just find her like also really interesting. You know, those two artists, I think are just two great examples of stuff that is like young artists here from Argentina, which are really good. How do you, how do you spell it. the first artist's name? I, I heard it, but I didn't quite catch it enough to spell it out. He's called Catriel, C-A-T-R-I-E-L, but uh, he writes the T like a seven. Okay. So it's a C-A-7-R-I-E-L. Yeah, I'm going to go seek him out and have a, have a listen to that. What band or artist do you love, but you feel like they never quite got the big break they, they should have got? Well... For example, um, I, I've always loved um, Charlie Garcia. I mean, I know Charlie Garcia is an artist who's very well recognized in a lot of parts of the world, but not as much as I think he should be because I think he's like one of the genius songwriters. And I, it, for me, he's he's always been like a super huge influence. And I just feel like he's an artist that I wish was much more recognized than he is because here in Argentina, he's basically like, you know, one of the gods, mm. but at the same time, when you go to Spain or you go to Mexico, he's well-known, but he's not as recognized as other maybe bands or artists who come out of Argentina, you know, at different points. Do you have a, um, a band or an artist that is a guilty pleasure? In other words, somebody that you listen to that you don't really tell everybody else that you listen to, but you're going to tell us right now? <laughs> well, um, no, I I do listen to a lot of I, I do listen to a lot of trap music actually a lot of and a lot and a lot of reggaeton and I'm actually investigating through the whole dembo um, music which there's there's some music that my daughter listens to because she found them in Memphis and I discover a lot of music through her mm. and it's really funny that I'm like where did you listen to this she's like oh you know it's a meme so. You know, is that how they're called in English? The memes, the the, the ones that you see, like yeah, the, a meme the, the, or a, yeah, a mem- meme, exactly yeah. a meme. Yeah. yeah, that's where she listened to a lot of music, and that's how I discover a lot of the stuff that I actually like. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, I'm especially because I'm just really interested in the phenomenon of things that happen and they go through internet and then they j- just kind of come out of there, and then they're actually really interesting when you dig into them. So there's a lot of you know a lot of music going around and how you listen to it. Um, so I don't actually have guilty pleasures, but sometimes when I tell my friends that I, that I really enjoy reggaeton, they're like, why? Yeah. You know, like, I'm like, because it's interesting, you know, the, the, you have to listen to the lyrics, you have to listen to like everything that happens there. Forgive me if I'm ignorant, but do you guys have TikTok in, uh, in South America? Yeah, TikTok is pretty much like right. universal, I think. Yeah. Right. So, so, so that's where a lot of kids are discovering music, isn't it? And, and a lot of artists you know, songs that nobody's heard for maybe, you know, like the, the Fleetwood Mac thing with Dreams a couple of years ago. Uh, exactly. and, and then there are other songs that just suddenly get picked up and have a, a, a new life. And all of a sudden people are discovering music that's, you know, been released 15 or 20 years ago. 
Exactly. No, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think that sometimes my daughter will start singing a song and I'll, I'll, you know, go along with it and sing. And she's like, you know this song? I'm like, mm -hmm. this song is like from the 80s. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and she has no idea where that came from, you know, and she's actually always surprised that I actually know anything that she knows from TikTok because it's like, you know, it, I'm like, this is a classic, you know? Yeah, I this mean, is not fun. new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's been so cool catching up with you. And I always have one question that we wrap up the uh, the podcast with, and that is, how are you feeling right now? Right now, I'm feeling, um, I'm feeling great. And it's great to see you too. I really enjoy always talking to you and I always, you know, love what you do. So, so thanks, no, thanks for having me. No, it was a real pleasure to, to catch up with you. I really appreciate you doing it. And uh, I am going to find you in December at Dodger Stadium here here in LA. Our guest has been Julieta Venegas on The Sound of Success. Uh, oh, one last question. When's the new album coming out? Um, it's coming out this year for sure, but we'll still, we're still working on the dates, but it's gotcha. for sure this year. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Nick. Thanks so much for having me. The Sound of Success is produced by Elizabeth Thompson with myself, Nick Harcourt for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at sparknetwork.com.